Hi everyone. Thank you for coming. We will start in around nine minutes, so we still have some time. Uh, thanks for your patience. In the meantime, you can check out our guest speakers uh, website and I posted in the chat um, some relevant papers related to the um, talk today. So feel free to uh, check them out in the meantime and thanks for coming.
Everyone will start on top of the hour, so we'll start in around four minutes. Thank you for coming. And um, yeah, in the meantime, please check out the website and the papers that I shared in the chat. Um, will be a really interesting talk. Thanks for coming. Hi, Serena. How are you? Hello. How are you? Good, good. Hi, Mayor. How are you? Oh, my God. What a title. What a title. First solid <laughs> state light driven nano motor. Like, I mean, come on. Like, everybody on Clubhouse should be up in here, dude. That is freaking <laughs> interesting. You know what I'm saying? Gonna be cool. How are you, Katerina? How are you, Serena? Good, good. How are yeah. you? We're good. Awesome. <laughs> Hi, Frank. How are you? I, I, I shut down. Oh, I shut. Right. I shut down the room to bring. I told everybody I'm coming. Over. Well, they kept going. I told everybody I'm gonna go over here in this other room. And like I had a room going. I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going in this room. <laughs> you know. Uh, so we should have more people kind of following in, probably from from uh, our the other room I was just hosting. We had like 30 people in there. I think you know a lot of those are going to come in as they wind that down but I'm, I'm super excited about this yeah me too i'm also really excited wait let me sorry i'm really bad at making people moderators go ahead <laughs> thank you <laughs> In the beginning, I like share on Facebook and stuff. I don't, I don't even use Facebook anymore except for sharing the stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone still use that? Okay. Yeah, as well. Yeah, come on, everybody. Hit that share button. And put something cool. Get people in here. This this room needs to grow. So yeah, our guest speaker should be here. He uh, sent me the slides already a few days ago, and I sent the link again just in case. <laughs> because of the time difference. I feel like sometimes people get mixed up. We had that a few times. So just in case I usually share the link again a few minutes before. So anyways. Yeah, I just shared it. Oh, he's out of Berkeley. Huh. Okay. How was everyone's weekend? Happy Monday. <laughs> well, I was up kind of late last night. <laughs> no, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. Serena so so, so had a really cool little social room we were talking last night. It was, 
that was fun. That was interesting. You have a little impromptu room. It kind of went on for a while, but uh, does somebody yeah. see our guest? Because says is in the room, but I don't see him. Oh, I hope he's in the right room. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good point. Um, I see we got Dimitri, Early, Chris, PV, and and P uh, Press Press. Yeah, when's your room he's in? Yeah, I, I just wrote him to just restart the app and use the link I just shared. Um, Dimitri is our guest speaker on Thursday, and he will give a really cool talk about these e-tattoos that, remember, we talked a little bit about it last week with the other guest speaker. Yeah. Yeah, so he will share those e-tattoos to measure blood pressure continuously. Dimitri, we had the guest speaker here and he said how important it would be to have like continuous blood pressure measurements, especially at night. So we said, oh, yeah, you're co you're coming. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, Dimitri, if you want to come join us on stage, if you can. We just had the introduction room like two, three hours ago. Hi, Dimitri. <laughs> How are you? Welcome, welcome again. I haven't spoken hey, with you forever. <laughs> yeah, just wanted to learn how this whole thing is going on here and you know to prepare for the Thursday talk. Hi, Dimitri. Hi, everyone. Good, couldn't uh, speak very much. Uh, sorry. Hi, Hello. Shinkai. Hello, can you yes, hear me? Now we can Glad hear you and it. see you. Yeah, I, yeah I, I tried to draw in with my desktop, but it doesn't work, so I have to log in with my phone. I'm glad that, yeah, it, yes, I don't know the club deck. Uh, was it the first time you logged in with the um, desktop? Sometimes the first time it's kind of buggy. You, uh, it helps like just restarting the apps and then usually the second time it should work. Sometimes the unmute button doesn't work and people that speak the first time in the room. Um, yeah, I, I just couldn't find the unmute button, so. Okay, anyway, thanks for waiting. I'm finally here. Yeah, you're here. Um, we can, yeah, we can, we can start slowly. Let me just share that you're here on, <laughs> on Twitter. And because if you share on Twitter too early, then, then your name wouldn't have been mentioned. Like if you're not in the room and I share it on Twitter before you're here, mm -hmm. then nobody knows you're actually here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. So welcome everyone to the Science Society. And of course, a special welcome um, to our guest speaker here, um, Ying Yang, Dr. Ying Yang Li. And uh, before we start, um, let me introduce you uh, to the audience um, a little bit um, so they get to know you. Um, so. Dr. Yingyang Li, he's a postdoc uh, working in the field of optics and photonics. 
and he is currently at the University of California, Berkeley, with, and he received his PhD in materials science and engineering from the University of Texas, Austin, uh, in 2021. And he did his bachelor in science in applied physics from University of Science and Technology of China. Um, his research focuses on exploring fundamental and applied optics, including photonic materials, optical manipulation, light matter interactions, and optical measurements for broad applications in electronic and photonic devices. Optoelectronics, microrobotics, additive manufacturing, smart materials, cell biology, biosensing, and disease diagnosis to solve challenges in human health, information technology, energy, and environmental sciences. He has already, as a young scientist, published 15 first authorship papers in uh, really great journals like um, Nature, Communication, Science Advances, Chemical Reviews, and so on. And um, he has been highlighted by many, um, a lot of science media outlets and recognized um, a number of prestigious awards, including Material Research Society Graduate Student Award, UT Austin. And um, so you can find more about his research, as I said before, and website that I posted on top and I will shortly switch that link um, after our short interview uh, to the presentation and I also shared um, uh, papers um, that are relevant to this talk today in the chat so people can check them out so welcome and before we go ahead and start with your presentation serena uh, will ask you a few questions a few interview questions that's okay with you yeah yeah sure well hello and welcome the and, introductions. Um, oh okay so just for the for the benefit of the audience we like to to get to know a little bit about more about you and and how uh, and what drives you and how you got here. Um, for our first question, um, can you think back at a time where was there a defining moment where you knew uh, early in life that you wanted to get into science? Yeah, so I would say um, it's it started really early, maybe when I was a kid. So if you can. Think about. I'm not not sure if you if you guys have played the game like called marble game. That is, you use some very small glass ball and then use your hands you to manipulate those marble balls, and you to like you just shoot one glass ball to hit another ball. I kind of like. I was very I was really good at playing that kind of marble game when I was a kid. And later on, when I learned in middle school, high school, and in my, and then I learned like how, you know, actually that that like marble game is kind of, is is all driven by physics. You know, you have to give the ball a momentum, and then it hit another ball, and then there comes to the momentum transport and exchange. So I will say 
I I kind of get interested in those physics uh, when I was playing like different games, including the marble game and other games when I was a kid. And then back into my middle school and high school, I was I was I was also curious when I learned some like learn physics to explain those um, those phenomena in my daily life. And then I became really interested and want trying to and I wanted to explore more physics and explain more things that I I can see in my daily life. I think that all comes from, um, and I think that all all of that um things leads to my um, uh my like undergraduate and also graduate studies to make me um like work hard to learn more things and try to discover new phenomena and explain things. It's fascinating to go from embracing Newtonian physics through marbles to the quantum regime that you're you're talking to us today about. Um, could you take us from um, from that point to the work you're going to share us with us today? <clears throat> yeah, um, actually, the work I'm going to share is also very close related to that marble game. Um, I'm going to talk about the optical manipulation. So instead of using our hand to manipulate those big stuff, here I'm talking about big is, you know, compared to the particles I'm going to talk about in my presentation later. So like for the marble game, what we're talking about is like a glass ball with a diameter of like one to two centimeters. But for the nanoparticles, it's going to be the size of several hundred nanometers or even or micrometers and that is kind of like um, several orders of magnitude smaller than the marble game I'm talking about but the basic principle is similar so in marble game we are using our hand to manipulate and control the um, the motion of those glass balls and here for optical manipulation instead of using our hand we are using a light we we explore the light and light matter interactions that is the interaction between light and those nanoparticles and to control the motion of nanoparticles um i, I will say that that's actually very similar stuff well what we are we are we are working on um actually a lot of um research work are, are, very, are, are kind of like uh, uh um a lot of research work are an, an, an energy of those marble games were played when i was uh, when, we, when we were in our childhood. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, okay. Um, so Katarina's just pinned the link to your talk um, at above so the audience can follow along. Mm -hmm. And with that, I'll hand you the mic and I'll look forward to your talk. Okay, yeah. Okay, welcome everyone. And uh, Thanks for the invitation and introduction. I'm here, very honored to uh, to be here to present my recent research. Um, the title of this uh, presentation is First Solid State Net Driven Nano Models. That is uh, one of my recent research work. But to begin with, I would like to share the complete story of my doctoral research. Um, here, if you look at the page one of the slides, that is a revolution in optic tweezers non-invasive manipulation and solid state light driven nanomotors. So um, the, uh, the, the major part of my PhD research is I try to um, do new optical manipulation techniques 
to solve the current limitations in optical tweezers. Um, I will introduce you optical tweezers later if you are not familiar with that. Um, and, th and then I will introduce like two directions I'm, I'm working on. Um, yeah, as as um, as as Katarina introduced, I'm I'm currently a, a postdoc at UC Berkeley, um, and uh, if you do slides too, um, the the research work I'm going to present here is all based on my PhD work at UT Austin. Um, there are some key references as um, posted in the message, and also uh, before I go, I get into my work, I would like to give acknowledgments to the. Um, to my supervisor, Professor Yue Bin Zhen, um, for his guidance and support, and also a number of collaborators from UT Austin and other institutes, and also the collaborations from my previous group members, and also all the funding agencies to support our work. Okay, um, then if we go to slide three, it will be an outline of this of, of today's uh, presentation. So this presentation is actually the same one I presented uh, in a recent conference. So um, I'm not, I'm, I understand that there are people from different fields and uh, uh, actually, I'm, and I wasn't, I'm not sure how the clubhouse will work, but if you, if you guys have any questions, just feel free to stop and ask. We can stop anytime and answer your questions. And, and yeah, so. I will also try to be um, to using some plain language to explain everything, uh, but if you feel hard to dis uh, to understand, just stop any time. So I will first give an introduction about optical tweezers and how what it is and uh, why it is interested to working on those optical tweezers and what are their limitations. So that is like how we want to improve them, and the second will. I will introduce my PhD work in two directions. The, the first direction is to develop non-invasive opto-refrigerative tweezers to achieve the safe manipulation of, kinds, of different kinds of biological objects and nanoparticles. And the second, I will talk about the solid-state optical manipulation, that is to manipulate those um, nanomaterials on the solid substrate directly. And finally, I will give a conclusion and some take-home messages. So first we'll be the introduction. If you go to the slide five, um, this slide basically uh, where I'm here to introduce uh, very briefly about optical tweezers. So if you see the name optical tweezers, that is um, similar to the tweezers we use in our daily life, but it uses light to capture small objects. So how it, how it do is if you see the imaging, so when we focus a light beam, that is usually a laser beam we are talking about. So if you focus a laser beam tightly, um, it will has a focal plane that is a very bright spot, small focus, focus spot. And in that spot, the light intensity is strongest compared to other place. And uh, this light intensity gradient will have an optical gradient force that generated because of the momentum transport when light hit the particle. And this optical gradient force will need to a uh, total force that trap the nanoparticles to the center of the laser beam, that is to the strongest light intensity place. 
And uh, this technique um, called optical tweezers is invented uh, in uh, like 50 years ago and uh, it has been awarded two Nobel Prizes in physics. The first one is a Nobel Prize in 1997 by Stephen Chu and, and co-workers for their um, research in laser cooling and trap of items. And lately, very recently, it was awarded another Nobel Prize in Physics in 2018 because uh, you can think about if we can use those optical tweezers to trap nanoparticles, we can also trap biological cells and molecules and a lot of other stuff. And this, uh, this needs, um, their in, in applications in biological systems has, uh, has, make, has made them another Nobel Prize in 2018. So um, briefly speaking, for summarize those optical tweezers, they are like using light, laser light to capture and manipulate different kinds of objects, including nanoparticles, biological cells, molecules, a lot of stuff you can think about, very small stuff. And uh, um, they can be used for a lot of applications to, you know, to measure nanoscale interactions, to study biological process and a lot of things. Um, there, it is a very powerful technique and has a lot of advantages, including using light to remotely control of to remotely control materials and to manipulate uh, different objects with different sizes, ranging from nanometer scale to micrometer scale, and it can be integrated with computer to achieve programmable control. However, despite of those advantages and uh, two Nobel Prizes uh, recognition. Actually, optical tweezers are not, um, are not, you know, not, not, not as so far. They still have some limitations. And the first limitation, um, and the main limitation actually is caused by its, its principle. Um, as you can see from the picture, it requires uh, the laser beam to be very tightly focused to one spot to generate enough gradient force to trap the particles. So it requires complex optics that, you know, some lenses and uh, uh, objective with good, uh, with, with good numerical aperture to, to generate those focus laser beam. And the second is if it, re it relies on the gradient force. So you have to have the optical contrast between the particle and the environment. And because of those limitations, it usually require very high optical power to trap biological cells or very small nanoparticles. And this high optical power can cause damage to those nanoparticles. So briefly speaking, it is not safe and it is not that um, general to uh, all objects because you need to have those um, high um, optical contrast between the objects you are manipulating and the environment. So in order to overcome those limitations, uh, if you go to slide six, you will see some uh, uh, previous efforts to address the high power issue. So researchers has proposed different techniques to achieve optical trapping and tweezer, new optical tweezers using very low optical power. For example, um, in the left uh, panel, it, it showed the plasmodic tweezers. It used uh, very tiny metallic nanostructures 
with very um, strong enhancement of electric field to generate optical gradient force with very low optical power. Um, but you can, uh, this uh, this technique can trap nanoparticles with no power, but you can see from the skin, it can only trap the object at the two end of the plasmolic antenna. That is, you can only trap those particles at the hot spot. And this hot spot is fixed as when you fabricate those nanostructures. So that kind of manipulation is not dynamic. You can only trap, trap it, but you cannot move after the trapping. And the second, um, the middle panel and the red panel shows uh, some indirect uh, method that explore the inter, uh, the indirect optomechanic opt coupling, and that is a light controlled electric or temperature field. Um, here is like for example the optoelectronic tweezers in the middle in the middle panel uh, use light to irradiate a photosensitive substrate to generate a non-uniform electric field, and then to explore the uh, particle migration under the non-uniform electric field to trap the those objects at the light illumination region, and the the red panel shows a similar thing that is using light to irradiate uh, optothermal substrate to generate a non-uniform temperature field, and and those nanoparticles then will migrate along the temperature gradient to be trapped at the laser center. So all of those uh, techniques can overcome the high power issue to achieve the trapping of um, nanoparticles with relatively low power, that is as small as two or three orders of magnitude lower than optical tweezers. However, if you go to slide seven, you will see even though this techniques has achieved no optical power trapping, but still there are two major limitations the first limitation is optical heating. Um, if you recall the last slides, so we there are like different kinds of uh, techniques to achieve low power optical trapping. But uh, based on our common sense, whenever light hits something, it really heat it up. So especially for the plasmodic tweezers and the optothermal tweezers, those high optical those high electric field enhancements and the high optothermal conversion actually will amplify the optical heating issue. And this optical heating will cause thermal damages to nanoparticles and especially some cells and molecules, for example, protein and DNA. Those bare molecules, if you trap them and but heat them, then it will be, you know, kind of like those bare molecules will degrade and make no use for the future studies. So this optical heating is actually a very great issue in the optical manipulation field. And the second issue is if we, is all of those techniques actually, they're they are manipulated in liquid environments. So if you're going to use the nanoparticles you are, manip you are manipulate for some applications in, you know, on-chip devices, um, it will be very difficult because you have to remove the liquid and this will cause the undesired pattern collapse due to the capillary force and meanwhile because particles are manipulated in liquid environments so 
if you achieve, if you want to achieve precise assembly of nanomaterials, they will be challenging because of the strong Brownian motion when it comes to a nanoscale. So Brownian motion means that when you have particles, very small objects in liquid environment, it will move around very randomly. Um, and this Brownian motion is stronger uh, when the size is smaller. So when you go to nanoscale manipulation, those Brownian motion is very strong and you need very large force to overcome the Brownian motion to achieve precise manipulation. That is another challenging for the manipulation field. So then it comes to my motivation of my doctoral research. So my motivation is to overcome these two limitations that are not solved by the previous efforts in um, developing new optical twisting techniques. The first one is to avoid optothermal damages. And the second one is to achieve the manipulation of nanomaterials directly on solid substrate to avoid Brownian motion and capillary force. So um, that's all about the introduction part. And then I will go to the first direction I'm working on, uh, that is the studying page uh, slides uh, nine. Um, are there any questions so far? Or I can continue? Okay, so I guess I just continue um, studying slides. So, uh, a quick question regarding the uh, the the yes um, the sl slides number six the the middle one the uh, what, what do you call the um, the up up to electronic tweezers yes right so um, so is this uh, another route uh, alternative. Uh, uh, or is 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 actually uh, your work is building on this uh, uh, schema? So yeah, this um the both you know the optothermal opto electronic tweezers and optothermal tweezers um they are also they are both extensions of previous optical tweezers, um, but they are based on different mechanisms. The first, uh, the the opto electronic tweezers is is to explore the particle migration on the electric field. And the third is up based on particle migration under a temperature field. Um, they are uh, not, uh, they are not actually, uh, they are new extensions, but uh, NELO USC, uh, my research work is completely different from those two. Yeah, it, it, they are all based on different uh, mechanisms. I see, thank you. Okay, um, now let's go to the slide nine. And uh, I will um, introduce my first work. I turned it um, after refrigerative tweezers. So as, as, we, as we mentioned before, in, in nature, um, actually if you, when you have a light, like solar light or laser light, when you use the light to heat something, usually it will heat the materials up, um, but this, as I said before, it's actually not desired for um, for the optical modulation, especially for some uh, biological objects. So, what about all about we to use like optical cooling? Actually, yeah, it is possible. It sounds may not may sound like very um, weird, 
but there are actually some something called laser cooling and has been developed before. So what we do is we have those special material. If you see the subject, it's like Eterbium doped YLF subject. So it's kind of like a um, special materials that we synthesized. And this material, the cool thing is that when you use a certain wavelength laser, that is 10, 20 nanometer laser, when you use this laser to heat the material, it actually cools the materials. And this cooling will cause, uh, will, will, will generate a thermal, will generate a temperature gradient that is colder at the center of laser beam. And this laser cooling is because you have these ytterbium ions, that is YB ions, shows in the middle panel of slide 9. And if you use the 10-20 nanometer laser to pop, um, to excite the ion, and this material will absorb the photon, and later will emit another photon with a higher energy. And this will cause the total energy loss in the material. And so, so will cause the cooling of the materials. And uh, in the red panel, which shows that when we excite the material is 10 to nanometer, and you can see, I, we can observe the photoluminescence, that is the emission of new photons at a shorter wavelength. Uh, the emission of uh, the emission at shorter wavelengths means its uh, emission of means the emission of photons with higher energy. That further confirms the optical uh, the laser cooling um, the laser cooling theory, and the general concept of our optical refrigerative tweezers is to use laser cooling to to cool the substrate to generate a cold spot, and then to explore the so something called thermophoresis to trap the objects to the cold region, that is the laser center. The thermophoresis means, um, is a, describes a phenomenon in nature that most objects, including um, colloidal particles, molecules, and cells, they will tend to move from the hot to the cold under temperature gradient. Because in nature, most of things, they are like thermophobic. They, they do not like heat and they want to be something cool, something, they, they want to be somewhere um, cold. So based on the laser cooling and thermophoresis, uh, we can trap those objects to the cold region at the laser beam center. That is the general concept of this optical, of, of the optical refrigerative tweezers. And then if we go to slide 10, um, here we show the analysis of laser cooling and the thermophoretic force to achieve the optical trapping. So the the left panel is uh, temperature mapping we measured experimentally using a thermal camera, and you can see the center um, temperature of the center is uh, more than ten degree um, cooler than the environment, and. Uh, we, we derive the temperature gradient mapping from the left panel as shown in the middle panel. And you can see there are very strong temperature gradient as high as one to 10, uh, 10 to seven uh, degree per meter. And under this very strong temperature gradient, we calculated the uh, force and the trapping force and the trapping potential for typical colloidal nanoparticles as shown in the red panel. 
and the result shows that we can achieve very stable trapping with large enough forces to trap photonal particles at the center of the laser beam. And the slide, then slide 11 shows the um, results of the trapping and the manipulation of single nanoparticles. So there is a video there. I think if you download the slide, you can play the video and it shows the um, trapping of a single uh, fluorescence nanoparticle and when the laser is turned on and then when we turn off the laser, the particle will be later released. And uh, in the uh, later half part of the video, we show that when, when we trap the nanoparticle, we can further um, and further uh, move it to somewhere else and uh, on demand. Uh, that is the dyna dynamic manipulation of those nanoparticles. So for the trapping, um, we achieve very high trapping stability same, that is similar to plasmodic tweezers and, uh, and optical tweezers. Uh, but here we use um, uh, one order lower optical power. The reason is because uh, we rely on the the thermophoresis to trap the nanoparticle. So in principle, we do not need the strongly focused laser beam. So we can use much weaker optical intensity to do the work. And later, if we go to slide 12, um, that shows the non-invasive trapping of nanoparticles and biological molecules based on our technique. So in the upper panel, we show the comparison of this technique with, um, up with traditional optical tweezers. As you can see, for the optical tweezers, so if you, if you see the panel B, for the optical tweezers, there is a fluorescence quenching uh, when we trap the particle for one minute and the fluorescence intensity dropped for more than 35%. And, but for our um, optical refrigerative tweezers, the intensity remains for more than 90%. And this non-emissive trapping um, shown by the enhanced stability is because of two reasons. The first reason, as we mentioned before, is we do not require the, uh, we do not require the um, you know, highly focused laser beam to achieve the trapping. So we can use a weakly focused laser beam with lower optical intensity. In that way, we uh, reduce the photo-induced damages. And the second, of course, is because we have laser cooling. So the particle is trapped and maintained at a lower temperature. Instead of, you know, for optical tweezers, there are some heating effects. So this will completely avoid thermal damages. So we can achieve much better stability compared to the optical tweezers. Panel C and D will show, um, in addition to the um, to the nanoparticles, we can also trap and concentrate protein molecules and other biomolecules without molecules because we can keep them at low temperature. So this capability will be very interesting and promising for those biological, um, bio, for the bio, biological and biomedical engineering fields that we can trap those thermosensitive biomolecules and 
simultaneous cool down temperature and to study their interactions with uh, other biological objects such as cells, cancer, virus, cancer cells, or viruses, and for uh, a lot of things in drug, drug uh, development and uh, disease diagnosis. Yeah, uh, so, so this is the first part of my doctor research uh, to develop optical refrigerative tweezers. And next, I will go to the second direction, talking about, about the optical manipulation on solid substrate. Um, before that, are there any questions about the first part? Uh, sure. I'm curious about how much of a range or range control on the thermal gradients um, that, that you're able to, um, to control. I see the temperature range you showed on the, um, on the plot uh, down to 285 or so, so you get 10 degrees. Um, mm -hmm. do, you have, do you have other um, ranges or gradients that you, I mean, how much uh, control do you have over those parameters? Yeah, um, that is a, a good question. So this laser cooling and temperature gradient can be controlled, uh, you can think about in several ways. The first way is to control the optical power. So if you, um, okay, I don't, I, I don't think I have that that figure. But if you look at the the figure in that paper, so we can control the optical power to achieve achieve a different cooling degree. So the temp the temperature will drop more when you increase the optical power. So that is uh, that is actually very straightforward, uh, right? And the second thing is we can control the laser beam diameter, and that will cause different temperature gradient because the temperature gradient is dependent on both the temperature drop and also the uh, spatial um, you know spatial resolution of temperature um, distribution so if you increase the laser diameter it the uh, the effect will be actually the temperature gradient will be weaker and the third way you can do is to tune the if you go back to slide line, you will see the uh, subject is ytterbium ion doped subject. So you can also tune the doping concentration of those ytterbium ions to achieve different cooling capability. Thank you. Dr. Lee, uh, maybe uh, relevant to this question, uh, and it's a bit of a selfish question because I'm working at the warehouse and I can barely pay attention, but I will watch the replay. Maybe at some point, if you can um, quickly um, describe some, maybe like normalized statistics about the efficiency of this motor, uh, nanomotor light driven, like in this, maybe, I don't know if the vocabulary could be like gain uh, in electrical engineering related to power output, but just some sort of uh, measures on, on efficiency of the motor. And, and, and if there's a, a, a loss or a gain of efficiency based on the, the, the standard set by the the, the optics um, or a light driven uh, uh, medium. If there's any um, normalized statistics or, or some 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 vocabulary you could provide, that that'd be really helpful to me. I, and I'm sorry I, I can barely pay attention at this time, but I will watch the replay and pay close attention. And I appreciate your presentation. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the for the question. But uh, I will go to the last part. So it, I, I will do that when I talk about the nanomodels, but now uh, we're not. No problem. Not, not there yet. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you read my ACS nano paper, that I believe the link is there. So actually, we have a supporting note 
the you know supporting information and also in the main text we kind of mentioned that how to calculate the uh, if efficiency you are you are you are asking about so we, yeah, we do have a way to calculate the efficiency you know, like to convert light into mechanic energy yeah we, we do have that I shall pay attention thank you for the reference and thank you for the presentation again Dr. Lee thank you gracias yes please uh, a, qu a quick uh, question uh, Jingang the uh, uh, so this uh, uh, so the target particles are uh, uh, suspended in uh, some liquid uh, on top of the uh, e terpene substrate? Yes. Uh, what kind of uh, uh, solution that you're using? So, um, yeah, that is a... Me, um, so you're far. cutting out. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so for the laser cooling, um, so far as the first statement to minimize the absorption of the environment solvent. So we are using um, heavy water for the trapping experiments in this uh, in this experiment. But in principle, we also demonstrated the laser cooling of, uh, of like uh, the stuff in water or PBS, uh, like biological media. So uh, I will say heavy water works best, but some like water or feature, um, you know, fit in other like biological media will also work. Yeah, but in, in the experiments for the nanoparticles, we are using heavy water because we want to minimize the absorption at the 10, 20 nanometer, uh, because in heavy, heavy water, we'll have like one water less absorption than normal water. Yeah, that's a good question. Any other questions for this part? No, I think we're okay. Thank you. Um, okay. Sorry, um, is it just me that yeah. uh, you sound uh, some at some point you're cut out, or maybe it's my signal, or is uh, how's others? Did you hear a similar effect? Not right now. Maybe very short in between, but. Right now, it, it sounds fine. Good, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I apologize if the network here is not that good. Yeah, probably it's because my signal here is not that good. Yeah. Right now, you're it... fine. Okay, okay. Uh, just let me know if, if there is something unclear so I can repeat. Yeah. So um, now if we go to slide 14, um, in this slide, going to talk about another direction that is to explore and develop new manipulation techniques to achieve the optical control of nanomaterials directly on solid substrate. So before I go into that, so I will um, let's imagine if we do it in our real world. So imagine we have a box sitting on the ground and you want to push the box. So you overcome the friction force between the box and the ground. And if the box is heavy or if the, the surface is very rough, you know, you will have to push it really hard. And if we put the box in water, however, 
now you can think about you can push the box really smoothly without with, without you know pushing very hard right so that that case actually is the same when you go to the small nanoscale world so so far why people want only like work on the optical modulation of those nanoparticles in in you know in fluid fluidic environment that is because if if they go if if you put nanoparticles on the solid substrate, if you want to push the nanoparticles or you want to move them, the friction force is very strong. We all know that a gecko can um, can stand on the wall and they can like walk 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 on the wall because the van der Waals force is very strong, can bend the their their feet with the wall, right? And then when you go to nanoscale, when you have a nanoparticle sitting on the solid substrate, the van der Waals force is very strong to bend the nanoparticle. And if you want to move them, actually you have to have a, a very large force. And this force is usually not achievable using using light. So you have to use something you know, mechanically to push it very hard to move the nanoparticle. That is the reason that people previously cannot achieve the manipulation of nanoparticles on solid state. So, okay, now we understand the challenge here because of the van der Waals friction force. So in slide 14, I show that we come up a new way to overcome this challenge by something called interfacial engineering. That is, we introduce a interlayer between the nanoparticle substrate to straight interactions. So here we take the um, a surfactant uh, called cetotrimethyl ammonium chloride, that is uh, CTAC as an example. So, but in principle, you can use materials as long as uh, properties. So if we introduce those CTAC layer, in between, as a um, as a as a, as interlayer, and what happens is at room temperature when the laser is off, this layer will be in solid form, and the particle will be just sitting as substrate by the and bounded by the one of force. But if we have laser on, for example, for gold nanoparticles, the optical heating of gold nanoparticles will cause the local temperature rise. And this temperature increase will cause a phase transition of this inter of this CTAC layer, as shown in the um, bottom uh, in in the upright panel. Um, when you have this phase transition, the CTAC will change from a crystalline solid phase into a quasi liquid phase. And now the things happen just like we move the box from the ground to the water. And in this case, the friction force is reduced significantly. So meanwhile, we can use optical force to move the nanoparticles. And as shown in the bottom right panel, so what the thing happens is when you have, have the laser here, the optical heating will cause the phase transition. And meanwhile, uh, when you when you do not worry about the friction force and the optic force can be large enough to push the nanoparticles away. So if we go to slide 15, 
um, there will be a one video showing the optical manipulation of different colloidal nanoparticles on solid substrate by this technique. So basically, uh, when if we move the laser, like, and we can push the nanoparticles to anywhere we want, and this is a contactless and non-invasive manipulation technique. Um, and uh, it can be widely applicable to different materials, different particle sizes, and different shapes. Um, and uh, we can, you know, monitor the modification process in situ, and we can also tune the optical wavelengths to uh, achieve the best performance. Uh, and the good thing is, as we mentioned in the um, in the motivation page in the introduction, that there is no Brownian motion. And if you want to immobilize the nanoparticle, you just turn off the laser. And you will see from the video that there are actually um, some particles just sitting around still, right? Because uh, if you do not have laser on it, they will just be like um, sitting in, and there will be just be like, uh, like particles in steel. Um, if you want to move them, just shine the laser on and push them to anywhere you want. Um, and another thing I want to mention here, CTAC, the interlayer between the particle and the subject, the phase transition is reversible. There's no materials damage, and you can achieve the manipulation at the through the the same route, um, like very in a repeated way for many times. So 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 far the manipulation of different colloid particles. And uh, in that way, we kind of extend the modulation, um, the working environment of optical tweezers from fluid environment to the solid substrate. And in the next slide, uh, slide number six, because we are working on those modulation or solid substrate directly, so we can achieve the dynamic patterning of the same nanoparticles and nanomaterials into different patterns so in a sequence way. So like, for example, there are four gold nanoparticles and we pattern it into a L-shaped pattern, then to a square and then to a mirror L-shaped pattern and then to a straight line. So that put we, we, the, the two silicon nanoparticles, the one gold nanowire into a Y letter and then reconfigure it into the Z letter. And in the next slide, slide 17, uh, we show that because there is no Brownian motion, so we can just move the nanoparticles to anywhere we want. Like that, this is very to the manipulation liquid environments. Like for the for them, you know, when you when you move the nanoparticle, you you trap them. There are still very strong Brownian motion that can they are moving around. But here, when you turn off the laser, the particle just sits. So you can move it to anywhere you want because you need to you need to judge and judge like where the particle whether the particle is is in the right position or not and where like when to stop. So if you have some um very advanced imaging software that can help you to define the right location, you can potentially achieve like the resolution at a really nanoscale. So here, like by our naked eyes, we demonstrate the precise alignment of one D, uh, uh, of one D uh, line shaped, and also two D arrays with silicon nanoparticles 
with a position error of less than 100 nanometer and 200 nanometer for the both case respectively. Um, and of course, this this is not the um, and this is not the end. We can definitely improve this partition error by using like advanced imaging um, techniques. And uh, last, if we go to eighteen, um, this not this manipulation platform is further integrated with an optical spectroscopy that allows us to not only not only real-time checking the manipulation process, but also we will, we will be able to measure the optical scattering property of the nanostructure we are, we are, uh, we are working on. As a very simple demonstration, so you, you can see uh, in the upper panel, when you move the two gluon particles together, it will go to, it will become a dimer uh, when, when, when they are close enough. And we can also check the scanning electron microscopic imaging, and we, we will see they are indeed like almost uh, other. So if we check the, uh, let's see, we will see the peak of granular particle. Um, they are like split into two consistent with our simulation. So, so far, uh, like with, with the integration and the capability to, you know, dynamic manipulate those colloidal particles on solid subject and with nanoscale resolution, develop this solid state optical manipulation as a promising platform. Um, now you're breaking up. Um, is it maybe sometimes it's helpful to turn off the Wi-Fi and use cellular data if you're on your phone? Okay, is 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 now okay? Yeah, now we can hear you. Again. Okay, okay. I I think I think the Wi-Fi is is the issue. I'll use cellular data instead. So I'll I'll repeat the conclusion in this in this page. So with the uh in-situ optical spectroscopy and the capability to manipulate those nanoparticles and assemble it into different patterns in a reconfigurable way with nanoscale accuracy. So we are developing a really powerful platform for the uh, material scientist and optical physicist to, um, to assemble you know, nanoparticles into different structures. And we can also very, like, very precisely tune their their um, position and so to, and also to study their coupling and interactions and this will also allow us to further to design like new devices to achieve different functions as nanoscale um, and nanoscale uh, like solid state devices. Um, yeah, that is the first part of um, the solid state manipulation work. Are there any questions about this part? Um, so far, Frank, everyone is okay. I think we are good. Thank you so much for asking. Okay, thank you. Again, again, just so quickly regarding the, uh, so it's a little bit uh, counterintuitive for me that uh, uh, I can understand you, you, there's a th thermal uh, thermal force that uh, when you're immersed in liquid, but now you're 
without liquid on a solid uh, surface, where uh, those uh, thermal gradient force comes from. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, probably I didn't explain very clearly. So if we go back to slide fourteen, um, the the force actually there is not not based on the thermal gradient. So you can th you can think about like the upper part of the like the particle is surrounded by air, right? And uh, there is no you know liquid based like phoretic force. So the particle is moved by optical scattering force. Yeah, sorry, I, sh I should mention that. So yeah, and I, I should also mention the, the the name of the technique. So you, you see that we turn this technique optothermally opto gated photon merging. So the optothermally gated is because we have a CTS layer. They are kind of like an optothermal gate. When you have the laser on, when you have the optothermal effect, the gate is open and the particle can be moved. So we, we call this CTSA and optothermal gate. And the photon merging is because the manipulation is based on the scattering force. That is kind of you are using light to push the nanoparticle. So using a photon to push the nanoparticle based on the scattering force. So we turn this technique optothermally gated photon merging. Yeah. I see. That's a, a very different uh, 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 physics. Okay, I see. Thanks for explaining. Please continue. Thank you. Okay. Um, so later, if we, if we go to slide nineteen, um, so later the this the two works is like we extend the solid state optical modulation into reconfigurable assembly and uh, finally the nano models. So they are all based on the previous nature communication work. That is, they share the same concept, you know, to use the optothermal gate, CTAC, to modify the particle and substrate interactions. So in the slide 19, we showed, uh, as we just mentioned in the slide 18, that we, we showed that this new technique can, can serve as a you know, powerful um, platform to study to assemble uh, reconfigurable nanostructures and to study their interactions. So in this work, we showed one typical example that is so-called chi reconfigurable chiral structures. So um, probably I should also spend uh, some time uh, explain what is chiral. So chiral structure is like this, is for uh, describes the structure that cannot be uh, overlapped with with their uh, mirror imaging. Uh, they are very common and they're very common and universal in our daily life. For example, our hand is chiral. That is why like sometimes the chiral structure is also uh, be called you know left-handed structure or right-handed structure. And and also in um, in chemistry and bio biology. Um, a lot of you know chemicals and biological molecules they are all chiral, including um, sugars, DNA, and um, also a lot of uh, drug molecules. Um, they are all chiral. So for these chiral molecules, there are like two two structures of these these molecules. Like one left-handed structure and the other is right-handed structure. There are mirror images of each other, and and they. Despite they, uh, they are they are composed of the same components, same items, uh, but their chiralty will determine their physical and the chemical structures 
So um, this will need to very important you know studies in biological and biomedical engineering. And so people are developing a lot of chiral nanostructures trying to um, trying to exploit the enhanced light-matter interactions to detect different chiral molecules and to sense those molecules to like you know for safe drugs and uh, about and disease diagnosis. So um, here, uh, what we do is we use the optothermally gated photonergin technique to construct a chiral nanostructure with a silicon nanoparticle and a silicon nanowell. So if you if you see the um, up left panel, so what we do is we manipulate a silicon nanoparticle by using laser to push it to the uh, to somewhere close to the silicon nanowell. And the red side of the slide has a video showing how we do that. Basically, it's just very similar to what I showed before. It's basically, just like move the nanoparticle, and you can manipulate and move it, push it to the like uh, near the silicon nanowell. And uh, and uh, based on the you know relative position of the silicon nanoparticle to the silicon nanowell, we can define the nano the nanostructure to be left handed structure that is LH and the right-handed structure RH showing in the uh, skin optical imaging and also the scanning electron microscopy imagings. So that is the, um, uh, the how we construct and those chiral structure. And in the next slide 20, we show that because we can manipulate those nanoparticles on solid substrate, so we can achieve the um, dynamic control and reconfigurable assembly of the small particles. For example, um, there are like four um, four columns in the slide. So if you see the left uh, left column, which shows a skin and an optical imaging of the nanoparticle components before the assembly, and uh, the the second column. We're showing that by pushing the silicon nanoparticle to the left end of the nanowell, we can assemble these two into a left-handed structure. And then in the third column, by moving the silicon nanoparticle along the silicon nanowell from the left end to the middle, we are transforming the uh, left-handed structure into an A-chiral structure. That is, you know, for A-chiral structure, they are like symmetric. There are no chirality. And finally, in the last column, we move the silicon nanoparticle from the middle into the right end, and then we transfer it into the opposite handed structure, that is a red-handed structure. So in the in the bottom panels, we showed the uh, using our in-situ optical uh, spectroscopy to measure the optical scattering at different circularly polarized light. So for the left-handed structure and the right-handed structure, you will see uh, it shows uh, you, you can see very distinct optical uh, spectra under the different kinds of different circular polarized light. But for the A-chiral structure, uh, it shows almost the same spectra under the circular polarized light. That is because they are, they are A-chiral, so they are not um, responsive to those chiral lights. Uh, if we calculated the difference of the uh, optical scattering uh, under the uh, left left circularly polarized light and the right handed circularly polarized light, and we, cal we calculate the circular differential scattering spectra, uh, 
um, as showed in the bottom left panel. So you will see for left-handed and right-handed structure, the optical spectra actually showed a handedness flipped feature. And that further confirms, you know, we, we, we can tune the opposition of the signal particle and we can assemble, we can tune um, dynamically control the property of the structure we are, we are assembling. And further, we can tune the uh, function of this structure for different purposes. Um, that is like we demonstrated to use this optothermally gated photon energy to assemble active devices. Like for example, in this specific case, we can control the silicon nanoparticle position to control the light scattering. You know, we can selectively let the structure to scatter more uh, left-handed circular powder as light or to scatter more right-handed circular powder as light. And this is very important for some applications, you know, in um, chiral light source and also in um, optical communications and because we, you can use those handiness of light for um, quantum communications and even quantum computings. And finally, for this work uh, in slide 21, we showed instead of like we uh, we can um, we can tune the coherency of this structure, we can further use this structure to, for, to sense and detect the biomolecules. That is also the initial motivation of developing those kind of structures. So we show that um, uh, when we have the left-hand and right-hand structure, and we take the molecule called phenylalanine. Uh, uh, there are two kind of left-handed and right-handed phenylalanine molecules, and they are uh, very uh, important in uh, in drug in, in drug uh, in drug development because one enantiomer uh, is uh, is a, a, a safe drug, but the other is toxic. So it is very important to for we to distinguish the different chirality and to detect the purity of the uh, of the phenylalanine molecules so so you see from the the the, the middle figure and um, that we can uh, based on the data data lambda that is we measure the um, we measure the um, peak shifting after the absorption of the molecules in the left-handed and right-handed structure and we calculate the difference between the left-handed structure and right-handed structure, so we can get a opposite result for uh, the left-handed and right-handed molecules. And so we can achieve the very, very sensitive and label-free detection of this currency of these chiral molecules. And this is very promising for the, um, you know, to, to detect uh, biomolecules for disease diagnosis and for biomedical engineering. Yeah, um, that is the the work um, we use optothermal gated photon photonergy to develop the tunable chiral structures for um, active light source quantum com communication and also for the enhanced chiral sensing. Um, are there any questions for this work? So um, if not, um, we're going to the last work, that is optothermocapillary nanomodels. That is uh, also the title of the presentation. It's like the first solid state 
optical nanomodels we developed. Um, yeah, but this work is also based on the previous nature communication work that we use um, CTAC layer. So if you if you see the slide twenty two, the uh, uplift panel. So we have a layer sitting between the silicon uh, between the gold nanoparticle and the glass substrate. And uh, when we shine the laser on, there will be a phase transition of the of the CTAC layer, and and uh, at certain um, we, we, we can tune the light um, wavelengths and some other conditions, then we can achieve the nanoparticle to, you know, to, we can, we can, we can demonstrate the nanoparticle moving around the laser beam in a circular orbit way. So if you play the video showing the bottom of the slide, so you can see the nanoparticle is previously sitting on the solid subject. And then when you have the laser on, it will start rotate along the laser, along the laser beam. So this in this video and all the experiments, there is no water. So we are we are moving those small nanoparticles directly on solid substrate because we're using the CTS layer to modify the particle substrate interactions. And the right side shows uh, the the tracking tra trajectory of the nanoparticle. So you will see the nanoparticle like for the, in the in this one minute video, you will see the nanoparticle. Uh, they are moving around the um, the laser beam in all, in an almost perfect spread uh, circle. Um, so this is like a, the first demonstration of um, of the light driven solid state nanomotor. Uh, that is a very small, you know, the, the, the nanoparticle is 80, 80 nanometer and uh, um, there is no Brownian motion. So you can so you can see from the video that when we turn off the laser, the particle will just stay there. And if you turn on the laser, it can rotate again. So if we go to slide 23, uh, in this page, I actually show some uh, the mechanism and why this um, nanomotor can can work. So this is because um, this is because the nanoparticle, gold nanoparticle, has uh, a symmetric shape. So you, you see from the left imaging that um, the nanoparticle is not strictly spherical. And because of this non-uniform, because of this non-spherical shape, when when the laser is on, it will cause the uh, non-uniform temperature distribution at the particle surface. And because of this non-uniform temperature surface, there will be there will be a you know non-zero thermocapillary stress acting on the particle when the laser is on. And this thermocapillary force will later drive the nanoparticle to move around the laser beam. So um, this is like um, different from the nature communication work. Uh, in the brief summary, is we we are using uh, those non-spherical nanoparticles, and we explore the um, the coupling of optical force and thermocapillary force to achieve the stable rotation of those those kind those kind of nanoparticles. Um, and we we further demonstrate the experiment. Um, we further demonstrate the modeling of this. Um, of those um, of those optical nanomotors. 
So if you if we see the slide twenty four, um, the left one shows a video of our experimental demonstration of of nano models, and you will see there are many particles sitting around without move. That further confirms that we are doing it in the solid state. There is no water, and the middle and right videos, the both videos shows the modeling process. That is, you know, we calculate all the forces and torques, and then just input everything into MATLAB, and then uh, this MATLAB will, you know, automatically repeat the optical orbital rotation of our optical model. Um. So um. That is um. So this is like the very initial demonstration of the first net-driven nano models on solid state, and we are further working on to improve the performance of this this model. So as um, I think I think as uh one less one audience mentioned before, like how we calculate the efficiency. So we did mention we did calculate the like, like the light to mechanic energy conversion in this case and this conversion efficiency is also very comparable to the uh, the most advanced uh, optical you know micro models in the current research field but still that value is is still very small because um um because we are dealing with you know randomly shaped nanoparticles so in the future we are trying to design like rough to, we're, we're trying to do rational design of the geometry of the nanoparticles in order to achieve the um, more um, efficient light to mechanic energy conversion. Um, and also, we are also very interested in using this nanomotor to, um, you know, for many other device, many other applications. For example, we are interested in, you know, to making this nanomotor very controllable, and so it can be even used to sense the air quality because this rotation will be highly dependent on the environment. And if there are many like in air dust, we can we can monitor the air quality by the rotation speed. And the second is you you can imagine like those net driven nanomotors can be used for a lot of you know lab-on cheap devices, for example. In the future, you can just using light to, um, to develop the like mini drones in nanoscale for some very like um for some like measurement and uh, uh and other purposes um and also these like nano models can be can be uh can be integrated with other devices as a as a nanoscale power source to convert light into mechanic energy. To replace some, you know, batteries and other energy energy sources, um, yeah. So that is um, I'm, I'm what I'm going to what, what I want to talk about about the optical nanomotors, and uh, it is still in the initial stage. But we envision that the the future potential is is very huge, and uh, yeah, we are we have like. Uh, we are working on the future work based on this model. And are there any questions about this one? Uh, yeah, first of all, thank you so much for um, for this wonderful presentation and explaining this so well to us in such a structured 
structured way. It was really a wonderful, really great presentation. And um, for controlling the structure of these um, of these nanostructures, what what is the approach? Because I recently read um different and had a guest speaker here about using DNA to control like um for example tiny gold particles in um to change basically light and then there was a paper that came out to that with DNA they controlled microtubules is that something you're considering or are you maybe using machine learning approach or so to control basically the shape um in the future yeah uh, thanks for the question yeah i th uh, what we're talking what, what i'm talking about is is the 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 ladder case yeah we're trying to different it is a little bit different from like those like using dna stuff so we're trying to use you know, if you go back to slide 23, so you see the left image. So here is the particles we are using above. So it's completely random. So they're, they are asymmetric, but they are random. So what we are trying to uh, using, you know, something like something like machine learning or something like using numerical simulation. And we are trying to use like nanoscale, nanolithography to fabricate gold nanoparticles with a specially designed geometry that can can, can um, provide the best net to mechanical conversion efficiency. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And for those like DNA stuff, um, it is also interesting because I've also read some papers about like DNA and you know, they are like a very um, interesting way to, you know, using DNA, they can uh, control be because they can control the different, you know, different binding between the DNA uh, molecules and they can use DNA to assemble nanoparticles into different structures and this structure is also um, they can also it's also tunable if, if if the DNA is exposed to some external stu stimuli yeah I think um, that concept is actually similar to what I'm um, discussing today so we are also trying to do the similar thing but we do not rely on DNA so we are rely on the light itself. So we use light itself to, um, you know, to assemble different structure and we use light to disassemble it and then we use light to assemble it again. So we're doing it in, uh, you know, compared to their DNA approach, I will say it will be, uh, if you think about those uh, working conditions, the experimental conditions is not as, um, uh, it's not as complex as there because we, we do not have those DNA stuff and uh, but so far we are still uh, in the early stage and we are because for dna assembly it has been studied for decades uh, but now we are still in the initial stage and we are trying to make those optical reconfigurable assembly way that is you know in, in performance we're trying to make it comparable and more advanced compared to the dna assembly yeah if that uh, helps you understand what's the difference between our approach and those dna assemblies yeah, thank you. Um, um, that's interesting. Uh, so will it be more precise on a time scale, um, basically? And so you can assemble and disassemble uh, really fast. Um, will it be? Yeah. And is that 
um, is that something you want to achieve? And how about the different substrates, um, the solid substrates? Um, will it work on all kinds of different substrates or um, is, you know, will it vary a lot? Yeah, thanks. Aunt. For the first, for the substrate question, yeah, it is versatile for all kinds of substrate. As long as, you know, you, you have the CTC layer, you know, you can code the CTC on all substrates you want. Glass substrate, silicon substrate, and other substrates, anything. And so that is very, also very important of this technique. That is, our platform is very comparable to the current silicon-based electronic technologies. It's so-called like CMOS, uh, CMOS technology. So, which means our technology can be integrated with the current, you know, proper uh, silicon-based industrial technologies. And for the second question about tan scale, um, yeah, that is what we are trying to achieve. But um, uh, you know, uh, it it is not that um, because it's hard to compare the tan scale. Usually, I will say like. Uh, for those assembly and uh, you know changing structure experiments, yeah, for me it maybe ta it takes several minutes to assemble one structure. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how about how like those DNA assembly or other assembly skill, but I think uh, yes, this time skill uh, still can be improved. Uh, and also we are developing different kinds of ways to achieve the uh, like faster and more efficient manipulation. Uh, the the one way we can uh, think about is we can using computer, you know, some program to achieve the automatic control of different nanoparticles. And then we can also split laser beam, one laser beam split into several laser beams to do the parallel manipulation. So in that way, you can, you can imagine we can use computer and to split different, like, like several beams, and we, those, like one beam can control each nanoparticle and they can move, like, together and to, uh, to assemble one structure, and then later it can be uh, disassemble and then to assemble again. So yeah, we are working on like automatic control, parallel manipulation, those stuff to uh, improve the manipulation efficiency. Yeah, one last question. And then the cooling, um, so it will basically become immobile again, right? When it cools down, it will become immobile. Like how long does that take? Or is that pretty fast? And, and what's the temperature again, that it has to heat up to become mobile, basically. Uh, you mean for the for the laser cooling experiments? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so laser cooling, uh, yeah, laser cooling is a little bit different from those uh, mobile, like, like those solid state experiments. They are, they are done in liquid environment, um, and they are pretty fast. So I will see maybe in, in some microsecond because it's something you know related to the heat transport and those heat um heat transfer and temperature equilibrium actually reaches in a very fast time scale. Maybe I will see less than one millisecond, probably in some something maybe microsecond or nanosecond. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty much fast. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you think one day you can put these in, in cells? like in neurons or in different yeah 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 definitely definitely so i actually have um i have some some ideas in mind so as you said uh, and i i would like to put those you know laser cooling nanoparticles in 
inside cells or other like biological tissues, you know, and then we can locally modulate the temperature of those of those of those tissue in, in the tissues and cells. And then we can locally mod modulate the temperature and we can locally you know monitor those uh, biological processes that are gonna be super interesting and will provide a lot of insights for you know metabolism and those biological you know like disease and cancer cell those cell uh, e evolution a lot of stuff yeah I, I'm not I, I do not have much like biological uh, background uh, but I do I do envision that this this will bring like very like new possibilities to the um, life sciences and biomedical engineering yeah yeah i want to give other people i could ask more about the cells but i want to give other people uh, opportunity to ask so please go ahead everyone flash your microphone and ask away thank you uh yeah so it mean it's really fascinating and um captivates the imagination uh, for the kinds of devices that, um, you know, can be just uh, just for some, you know, toy devices or, or maybe not so toy. Um, could you, uh, well, what is the, uh, what rotational periods in time have you been able to achieve for, for the rotating the motor? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, so sorry, I didn't put the the image in here, but if if you go to the SS Nano paper that we have, um, we have a, a figure shows the um, shows the rotation time. But briefly, I can I can talk about here is that, uh, it's it's uh, at the at the current stage, um, it's kind of you know, not that controllable, and uh, it varies a lot for different kinds of nanoparticles. Uh, actually, it's, it's kind of a good thing. At least it means we can control the geometry of nanoparticles to control it, right? So what we, what we can achieve is like the rotation rate, you know, of like, for example, um, from like 10 RPM, RPM means like uh, 10 rounds mm -hmm. per, minute, per minute, from 10 to maybe up to three, 300 RPM. That is for 300 RPM, mean, which means for like, it's like five rounds per second. Yeah, it can go. It can go pretty, pretty fast, and sometimes it is slow. So it's all. It depends on the geometry of the nanoparticles we are, uh, we are targeting at. Yeah. Right. So, so size and um, you know, it would, as as well as radius would, yes, would affect yes. the period. Um, is there? Uh, I mean, would it be advantageous to etch a track into the? The substrate and have it in essence roll around in 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 the track uh, for additional stability um yes so if you have a, a track on this on the substrate um that will be i think it will be beneficial but uh, then you kind of involve like additional steps to achieve the model so um at the at the at the at, at the you know at the current stage we didn't consider you know adding those tracks um, but probably in some you know specific applications if we are really targeting some for example you know targeted delivery cargo delivery on solid substrates that we can build some tracks then we can you know 
build those nano models as a shuttle, right? You can you can transport mm -hmm. one thing like one cargo from one side to the other side along the along the track. I think that is also doable. So just imagine like you have a have a car in the nano world that can drive you mm -hmm. and can can you know transport cargoes and and stuff in at nano scale. So so it was very interesting. Just you imagine you scale down the real world to the nano world. So you have the car, you have the bus stop, you know you have you have this lot of stuff. So you can like our nano model can basically act as like nano car and you know can transport things and along the track or without the track yeah it's it's interesting if we imagine those things and then we can like step develop those like step by step yeah well i suppose also the um, just as a last question the position of the gold nanoparticle say uh, would affect the conductivity across the inner and outer portions and if you know if there was some uh, patterning um, you know, you could in essence control and modulate the conductivity across different channels. It's just, just I mean, it's um, it's interesting to just you know let the imagination run wild. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. So, so um, forgive me if I didn't follow, but um, could you go over again all of the forces that are acting on the the nanoparticle in in the the motor to to cause the the rotation that's observed. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's a great question. So I, I apologize for um, not going in, in too detail. Um, so if we go to slide twenty three, um, yeah, because this is probably a little bit professional, or um, so it's a little bit abstract actually, a little bit hard to understand. So I kind of like. I'm not going to very detailed in the in my in my presentation. So basically, uh, um, uh, I think, yeah, I I should have put, uh, I should have put the figure in in the slides. So basically, in in figure two C, that's in in the paper. Yes, it's not paper. Uh, sorry, I didn't put it in here. Uh, but um, briefly, so in in this nanomodel case, there are three forces will will like playing a role in in the in the in the rotation, and uh, because of the nanoparticles is ro rotating in plane, right? There is so we ignore all the out of plane force. So in the in plane, um, we will have first the optical force, and uh, the optical force um, is primarily in the radial direction because the it's also very understandable because you know the, the tangential direction the optical force is really is small and can be negated and the second is the thermocapillary force and this thermocapillary force is because the nanoparticle has has non-spherical shape and the temperature distribution is non-uniform at the surface and this will you know for example if the if the nanoparticle is spherical, and it, it will cancel out in every direction, and the net uh, force is zero. But for the non-spherical particle, the all the forces cannot be cancelled, and there will be one net force and net torque. And this net force, the direction of the net force will will be dependent on the orientation and the geometry of the nanoparticle. So we can think about the thermocapillary force is the key here, and but it is. 
it is it, it can only be controlled by you know orientation of the nanoparticle. And the third force is when you have the nanoparticle moving around the laser, and uh, when like uh, when you have the quasi liquid structure because of the phase transition of CTAC, there will be a like drag resistant force. That force is you know is like um, the resistant force, but it has to be be there to balance with the driving force to achieve the um, to achieve the stable rotation. So basically, if you if you see the red panel of the slide twenty three, uh, the solid, oh sorry, the dashed green line shows in shows the total force we calculated in for some like um, stable orientation, uh, in the radial direction. And then you will see, uh, I use uh, another vertical dash line to mark a point that is like like a, like the balance point where the radial direction is almost zero. And at this and and this at this point, the particle you know will remain on the track because this they kept the same um, laser particle distance, right? And at this vertical point, you will see the pink line that is the total. Uh, uh sorry, sorry, not 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 the pink line. It's the um green dash the line. Oh, sorry, the green solid line, that is showing that there are like. Um, a total tangential force that is around twenty newton, and this is the driving force to, to um, you know, to move the golden particle around the laser beam, and this driving force is also balanced with the drag resistance force, and like it's kind of like the coupling between the optical force, thermocapillary force, and the resistance force together to achieve stable rotation, and when the particle is at the uh, certain orientation, yeah. And and so does this. The, does the the total behavior result from uh, the particle essentially spinning until the the force becomes tangential, and then it 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 takes off in the circle, in the orbit. Yes, that's a that's a good question. So yes, that is actually how it is at at, at least at the current state. What we believe it is. Um, so if you look at the slide twenty four. There are three videos. If you look at the second video, so if we put everything we calculated, so the particle will initially undergo a reorientation process. That is very fast. It takes like less than millisecond, and it will, you know, automatically go and orientation itself until it it finds an equilibrium orientation, and after it reaching this orientation, the particle can stably rotate on the laser beam. By the interplay of those other forces. Thanks. Uh, hi. Uh, yeah, Doctor Lee, this is uh, thanks. Uh, you know, this uh, sharing this uh, interesting uh, work and uh, congratulations on the many uh, interesting results that. Uh, Thank you. In the very uh, yeah. Productive uh, research. The um, following on the Eli's question, the uh, I'm also curious uh, the uh, of the similar the modeling party. Uh, so, have you? Is it easy to repeat this uh, experiment that uh, at a various different conditions? For example, uh, so given that uh, your explanation that uh, then. Uh, say a very spherical uh, particle that you know you will see no uh, rotate rotation. And uh, so, what kind of uh, uh, 
fields that uh, you mentioned there's a transient uh, stage that you need to have it uh, reorient to self uh, align in a way that uh, before the rotation. So is this uh, a, a force that the net uh, tangential driving force a also a function of the uh, the, the thermoplastic, I mean, the, the, the see what, what you call the, the, um, the surface. Yeah, that, that, I mean, the, 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 the plastic beneath it, or, and is it a function of the frequency as well? Say I'm shining a different spectrum of light and, uh, is it like a dipole as well? Just yeah, yeah. Yeah, well that's, that's, yes, yes, that's a very good question. I can see you are also an expert in this optical, maybe photonic field. Uh, we can communicate more later. And But yes, that's a great question. So, you know, those force calculation, like all of this stuff, yeah, we have to choose a specific wavelength. So if you recall the video I showed in slide, uh, let me check, slide 15 that is the nature communication work. So basically in that work, uh, we mentioned that we can tune the working wavelengths of those techniques in the optothermally gated photon urging technique. Uh, if we using green light for gluon particles, like what we're using, we can move the, like very smoothly move the gluon particles. We can, we're pushing it away, right? But in the nanomodal work, slide 22 and slide 23, so what we do is we using another light, 660, 660 nanometer light, that is red light. So what we do is we have to using an off resonant light. In that case, we are trying to, you know, reduce the optical scattering force because if the scattering force is too strong, the particle will be just be pushed away. So that's why in the slide 23, we, we are, uh, I'm, I'm concluding that we are, um, we are like uh, manipulating all of the forces together to achieve the stable rotation. And and you are right, it's it's dependent on, you know, laser wavelengths, focal, um, you know, numerical aperture, and uh, the particle size, and a lot of stuff. Um, and also, I have to admit here, you know, not all particles can be rotated at the current stage. Because you can, if you see the left image, you know, it's like, statistically the, the particle shape is random right so there are some particles can work some particles are not work and we have we have also uh, mentioned that in our paper and also uh, another thing is like we cannot control you know the, the rotation direction some particles rotate in a clockwise way some particles in a, in a counterclockwise way yeah but uh, we believe that um at the current stage, we are trying our best to explain the phenomenon by uh, proposing the optothermal capillary force. Um, and also, we are also trying to work on, you know, design new nanoparticles with, with like design the shape to, um, to um, further prove our hypothesis and also to improve and to, to achieve better control of the nanoparticle. Yeah. Yeah, so my signal wasn't very good. So, yeah, I, I hear uh, uh, all, um, mo most of uh, uh, your answers. Yeah, interesting. So uh, my impression is this is uh, still have a great potential, you know, to explore, right? So that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I definitely, you know, uh, contact you when I, you know, you know understood the work. The, uh, so for the for the earlier technology that, uh, um, so uh, of course, you know, if we have time, we can, you know, uh, if you care, and. Uh, 
interested in explaining what's going on in, in, in between, you know, in, in this, uh, the CTAC, you know, and uh, the gold particle. Uh, but my next question uh, is for the thermal, uh, uh, the tweezer part. So is it, is the, and also the uh, scattering driving part. So is the, so you're, are you limited by the laser field available to you or can you change that? For example, can you uh, adjust the angle of the the light field? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great question. So yeah, we mentioned that uh, you know yeah potentially if you adjust angle you know by because if you see the set fourteen where like the laser is you know it's normal instance, but if you do like oblique instance like you using different instant angle, it will definitely improve the modulation frequency. But yeah um. In, in 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 my previous lab, we are limited by the you know vicinity. We cannot do the, we cannot change the incident angle. Um, but if we do that, I be, I believe it will be um, like huge improvements to to this modulation frequency. Yeah, of course. And also, um, in the um in the tweezer part, um, it's it's also interesting if we like doing you know something like total internal reflection configuration that to, you know, send the laser to the subject and without letting the laser, you know, go out of the, like, transmit from the subject. And in that case, we can further eliminate the effect of optical force and uh, to reduce the photon damages. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a very good question and very good um, suggestions. And, uh, but uh, unfortunately, it's limited by the uh, facilities we have in our lab that, that before. But uh, we will, you know, consider doing that later if we have the condition. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the answer. Uh, I'll uh, let our, uh, you know, uh, uh, yield the mic for now, and, and I'll ask you more later. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Dr. Shah, did you have a question? Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your work with us. I was a little bit late. Uh, and my question from you is about the possibility of uh, um, somehow you just explain about the theory behind that. And I was just wondering of using that uh, with the qubit gate for production of the qubit gate and uh, saving the data and transferring the data and I was just wondering maybe you have further information and then you just mentioned about the configuration assembly and uh, I was just wondering about the formation of the multiple quantum and I was just wondering do you have any further information about that or not? Um, yeah, um, that's a good question about like the, for the future work. Um, so far, I will say, um, I, I think I briefly mentioned about like the future work on how to improve the modulation you know efficiency and throughput i think uh, our first step will be you know to integrate those modulation techniques with you know computer controlled automatic control and parallel modulation capability and if if that one has been achieved and then later with those fast modulation we will be able to you know assemble different structures to use for data storage and you know uh, rewritable um, optical data storage devices, and that, that I think that is the later work um, be, after we achieve those automatic and the parallel control. 
because at the current stage, if, if we are using like we are manually um, control those to achieve those data storage, it will be uh, it will be kind of impossible. So we can only do some uh, achieve some you know very at the small scale tunable devices at the small scale. So um, but yeah, we are we are working toward that. So I think uh, one of my colleagues at UT Austin, he's uh, currently working on the automatic control. Uh, to making those optimally gated photonology um, program program programmable, and next I think we believe we are going to work on those you know optical communication field and trying to develop those very readable optical data storage and yeah devices like that. So by considering the optimal, uh, I mean control theory that you just mentioned about the mechanical geometry, do you see any relationship between? the mechanical geometry and, uh, for example, um, the superposition state that we can just get an idea about. You mean the nanomodels? Yes, it can be that one, and it can be in the form of the reassembling. Uh, uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? You, you mean the relationship, yeah. relationship between the geometry and the... You just mentioned about the mechanical geometry that might be the next step that you want to take. And I was just wondering, do you think that is there any relationship between this geometrical, I mean, mechanical geometry and uh, finding the, for example, superposition state that we are using for the data information and it just support the theory behind your research? Yeah, um, um, actually I'm not probably, probably, I'm not sure if I understand correctly about the mechanical geometry you, you mentioned. Um, but I believe, um, yeah, we are working on, you know, developing active nanostructures and ac active, you know, metal surfaces or structured materials uh, based on the technique and, you know, assemble those nanostructures into different configuration and using that to disassemble and reconfigure it into another, diff in another configuration. So we are working on that, and we are definitely um, exploring the, um, you know, material structure and function relationship and toward different on-chip devices. Yeah, I'm not sure if this answers your question. Thank you. It might be the next step. So thank you so much for answering. Yeah, yeah. Th thank you for the questions. Um, Guta, um, Aya, and Nina, do you have a question? Oh, oh. I just wanted to thank you for your time, um, Doctor, and um, because it's the first time I've had exposure to this level of detail for nanoparticles and nanomotors, so I feel like I've got a lot of information to process, and I haven't, form I haven't done that um enough to formulate the questions but i'm thankful for the knowledge you've shared this evening thank you thank you yeah thank you so much um frank you had um, some more questions please feel free to ask uh uh, sure. So, so maybe you know, um, my uh, there's a, a uh, something that are uh, unclear regarding the the CTAC in. So, have, in your modeling, uh, I'm I'm curious the how have you so so in detail. So this you as I understand uh, right now the there's a uh, tweezer. I mean the uh, laser the the high in um, uh, uh, 
or what you call the uh, very intense uh, focal point, then there is uh, very curiously, there is a very certain or stable uh, equilibrium uh, uh, distance of your orbit R, right? So, and uh, there's also that uh, the uh, gold particle is uh, absorbing heat because uh, from the, your uh, cartoon like you share the, there's a red kind of a, a thermal melt uh, energy that melts the CTAC beneath. And uh, so these are all contributing. So to, so the gold particle is melting the, the ice say uh, as it goes, right? So uh, it is quite a, a complicated to me, I mean, at this stage. I was I was just wondering. So my question essentially is the role of the uh, the surface polymer that plays in this and the, the, the thermal capillary force. Yeah. How how, how is it a very uh, already well established in, in the field? This uh, thermal capillary force field. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great question. Um, so. Yeah, the first row I believe here as what we demonstrated before, the you know for the modulation assembly, it definitely helped modify the particle sub interactions through a reversible phase transition from solid phase to a quasi liquid phase, and uh, that is the the first thing we are very sure about. And the second about like the role of CTAC, and and that I believe here we're talking about the quasi liquid CTAC on the optical thermal capillary force. So I think uh, it is well established theory to describe the optical thermal capillary force. So basically, if you have those non-uniform temperature gradient at a um, at a interface, you know, like liquid solid interface or liquid liquid interface, um, you will have you can use some you know equations and integrations to calculate the optical thermal the thermal capillary stress and then calculate the thermal capillary force. Um, I believe it is uh, well established. So here, what we do is we we treat the quasi liquid CTC as a liquid, and we um we do we do we, we do have use some you know measurement to calculate the not calculate actually we, we use experiments to measure the surface tension of the quasi liquid state of CTC, and then we use that surface tension value here to calculate the thermal capillary force. Um, so we believe um. The thermal capillary force part is um, should be well established and should be very reasonable in in this case, um, but uh, there may be some other stuff we didn't consider about. Maybe they played also played a role, um, but at the current stage we are we are doing the best to understand. And so far the theory we proposed is very consistent to all the experiment uh, we observed. Right. Oh, so, oh, go ahead, Serena. Oh, okay. It was, you know, imagination still running. Um, so on the gold nanoparticles, have you thought about or do you have any plans on looking at, uh, you know, functional derivatives in the sense of, okay, say you take a, a you know, a sulfide with a carbon tail on it and those, those like to coat the gold nanoparticles. Uh, but you can put, you know, say cross-linking groups and um, in the sense where you can manipulate those particles to come into close proximity. Uh, you can um, arrange them close and hit them with UV and cross-link them and 
and develop these you know more complex shapes and patterns but even in the um controlling or or investigating the shape of the particle assemblies in that sense uh for for their different effects in the nanomotor context um i'm just curious how you you know it might be an approach to have more control over the specific shape by building up um you know tight assemblies or coupled assemblies of the nanoparticles um but even you know how what would the effect of surface functionalization have on their properties i don't know if you yeah it, it's a very interesting and you know to you know like involve you know polymers cross-linked materials like those stuff and also you know service treatment of gold particles and other nanoparticles um it will definitely be very interesting to dig into um, but in another way it will actually involve more complex com com complexity in the system so at this stage um we're probably not going to do the, do that before i mean before we really understand what's going on and we really like for example as i mentioned we like i think our first step is is here we want to first understand the role of geometry first and we want to show that we can uh, when, when we when we show that we can uh, process and tune and rationally design the geometry and then later i think it will be very interesting to of course to uh, add you know surface functionalization and other you know polymer materials as the environment stuff to to make the system more versatile and powerful yeah um i mean did you say earlier in the talk that when you got the particles close enough they dimerized um mm -hmm. was the the dimerization i mean was did you characterize that in more detail i mean do they actually fuse or what's going on there yeah, so that happens in the slide 18. So that is when we do in the optothermally gated photoenergy. So we are, you know, energy one particle to another particle. And when they are close enough, they become a dimer. So, but if you take the SEN images, you know, they're actually, there's, there's still two separate particles. They're just, you know, very close. And so um, there will be, Near field coupling between those nanoparticles. particles. So if we measure the scattering spectra, as we show in the left, um, the bottom left, you will see the one peak of the scattering spectra actually split into one peaks. That is because there are like two near field coupling mode. Um, the like the warm surface plasma resonance like split into two plasma resonance mode. Yeah. I see. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hi, uh, Qingyang. So the, uh, if I may, I would like to pursue a little bit more. So see the, uh, your, your slides of the showing the model is quite, why, why I'm so amazed because it's, uh, it's definitely reminds me of magnetic kind of, uh, rotation, right? So is it, uh, so you mentioned some, you know, there's factors possibly that you, uh, is, you have not, uh, uh, uh included us is is the mag magnetic field uh, or uh, uh, distributions uh, within the uh, uh, particles uh, have you uh, dealt with it and uh, conclude that it's not important 
Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, currently it is well accepted that for you know, those plasmodic nanoparticles, the magnetic field it should be very negligible. But if so, if we're talking about you know diagnostic nanoparticles, like silicon nanoparticles, probably there will be a like, magnetic force, magnetic field. But for the gold particles, I believe I kind of believe the magnetic field is not as important as we as we um, like discuss right now. Yeah. So does the particle spins? You know, as it as it, uh, uh, doing the orbital rotation. Uh, Have we you... don't. We we don't know, unfortunately. So as you can see from the images or like the the videos i showed so we we are still relying on you know optical imaging um of those on the particle but yeah later so we we have something in mind like to uh, integrate this laser system with a tem like t transition electron microscope so if we can do that in situ tem and we can um, probably see much more clear on what's going on like or like all the process like the you know the ctsa phase transition and the particle orientation and particle rotation, all the stuff. But that is, you know, a future step when we have, but you know, the facility is, is not easy to get, you know, integrated laser with TM and those stuff. But one day if, if we, ha we can have that facility, um, probably it will be um, a good platform for us to further study very thoroughly about those process. I see. This is actually a very uh, intriguing phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, there's a definite stability, right? Although you mentioned that uh, it varies, you know, it's somehow you, you, there's a, you probably can figure out uh, some empirical rule of thumb, what type of uh, shape, uh, although not spherical, but uh, do have some symmetries, right? So, so maybe, I mean, say a very uh, irregular ones also doesn't, maybe, uh, I don't know if you have a, collect those data but uh yeah this is definitely intriguing also the you mentioned the direction of the rotation is uncontrollable yeah 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 yes i think in the future um th those uh, as you imagine so it, it probably we can figure out on um, some like rules and you know to guide those to get those uh, solid state models and also you know, for the um, direction maybe you can also involve using some like chiralite source or other like you know to design the geometry to achieve, uh, to control the, the, the rotation direction. I think that's it. Yeah, they, are, they are all possible yeah, in the future with some extended work. So given the time available, uh, I will ask uh, Karina. I'll just have a quick uh, last, uh, I mean, for now, uh, last question regarding the solid states. The, uh, the the optical tweezer uh, optical electronic tweezers I'm, I'm quite uh, interested in that the you in your research in your uh, sharings you mentioned comparison between your work and the plasmonic tweezer which is superior I mean uh, yours is better uh, how do you, your tweezer tweezing uh, com tweezer compare to the uh, optical electronics tweezers so you are so for the optical refrigerated tweezers, I think the the most um advantage, most notable advantage here is the non-invasive manipulation. So as we mentioned, like for all of these other techniques before, uh, if when you have light, when you have like another particles, uh, other stuff, they normally they heat up, but now we have those 
laser cooling capability that to trap and especially for some alternative nanoparticles and materials to trap them at the uh, at the at the cold spot and without causing thermal damages to them. I think that is the biggest advantage for our technique compared to other techniques. I see. Thank you, Karina. Yeah, um, thank you so much. Um, do you, uh, you, we've been going for two hours, so probably um, getting tired of speaking with us. There was a question in the chat, if, if that's okay. Um, oh, yeah, sure. The nanoparticles would be toxic if we would use them in cells, but I guess that's hard to answer right now. Uh, yeah. Um... It's a, I will see, uh, yeah, as I'm not a biologist, um, but I will see good nanoparticles actually definitely not toxic because there are, you know, tons of research using good nanoparticles for, um, you know, drug delivery or like cancer therapy, optothermal therapy, a lot of things. I will see those nanoparticles should be, should not be toxic. Uh, that's what I, based on my understanding and, uh, knowledge yeah yeah thank you and um yeah i i would have a more more question about using them in cells in the future but i think we would need to invite you back for that once you maybe are starting to look into using these for cells and also thinking about um but, but the real advantage you have here is, um, you know, that you can, like, the, the really cool thing, I think, is that you can move particles um, on a solid substrate. Um, how, how much can it move, like, compared to, um, let's say you have, like, how many uh, nano particles could you move and how many would you need like can they move more than their own weight basically uh, less like what's the percentage of what they can move yeah so for the that if you look at the slide uh, 15 so for those up to thermally gated photon energy the answer is like i think almost 100 percent you can move all of those particles and uh um, as I, and also, you know, the CTSC itself is, is, it can be replaced with other materials. So I will say it almost 100%. So I think the, because I think for this work, I think the principle is very clear and you are, we are using, you know, opto, you know, the phase transition to help reduce the friction force and then we're using opto scattering force to push nanoparticles. Uh, I think that this work is pretty um, pretty much 100% workable for warm nanoparticles. And as also has, as, as Frank, um, he, he imagined if we have the laser, the incident angle is not is not vertical. So we have, if we tune the incident angle, we can further increase the scattering force to, to improve the modulation efficiency. So I will see um, for this part, it should be not should not be a problem for the it should be like general to a lot of um like uh, i think all all kinds of nanoparticles and materials yeah 
And uh, also, as I think, as a quick summary of all the research, um, you can go to the last slide, twenty six, and also, um, like pre pre pretty much I, what I want to say is that uh, all the research here, what I do is um, is an extension of optical tweezers. So optical tweezers is powerful, and I hope my research can make the optical manipulation techniques more powerful um, by using, you know, the first is to achieve non-invasive manipulation, and I will envision later, and I think maybe personally, I, myself, I will work on the using these techniques for more biological studies to um, to uh, to reveal more, uh, you know, biological um, insights for the development of life sciences. And the second, it's all about to extend the working environment. That is like something prayers cannot be achieved. And I will, I will envision it can be integrated for more, you know, to study the physics and to study uh, and to study the optical coupling between those nanostructures. Also to integrate those platform with on-chip devices and men's or nanes or robotics and, and other stuffs. Yeah, I think um, that's that's uh, the conclusion and take-home messages that I want to convey in this in this presentation. Yes, thank you so much. It will be uh, very exciting to follow your uh, future research. Uh, it will be for sure very uh, promising. And um, thank you for giving this wonderful presentation, answering a lot of our questions and. Um, and uh, yeah, we wish you all the best for your future. And uh, thank you for coming and taking the time to explain all of this to us. We appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, yeah. Okay, uh, we're closing the room. Uh, before we do that, uh, if you like um, presentation and discussions like this, follow the club. We have tomorrow Dr. Lafay talking about um, thymocyte cell type discovery and leukemia, uh, cancer research. Uh, that's really interesting and will uh, open up a lot of hopefully uh, specific treatments. And then we will have um, Dr. Kolahama and um, who will be talking about um, using AI to um, diagnose dementia more accurately. And on Thursday, Dr. Dimitri Kirev, he will talk about an e-tattoo for continuous uh, blood pressure monitoring, which is really important, especially to monitor it at night for people that have issues. So um, yeah, it uh, will be another interesting week. And thank you, Yang, for starting this week with this amazing talk. Uh, we really appreciate it and uh, thanks for all your hard work and for this presentation. Yeah, thanks for the invitation and thanks for all the interest. Yeah. Okay, we'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye, Thank everyone. You. Yeah, thank thanks, you. everyone. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye.